Professor Linda Gratton, thank you very much indeed for talking to Cambridge Judge uh, Business School Centre for International Human Resource Management podcast series today. Now, the title of your talk is Developing Effective Teams in International Organisations. That presumes there may be problems in international organisations and managing them. Yes, well, uh, what's happened in in the world, and I'm going to talk about this today, is that there's this whole set of world events, globalisation, technology, um, carbon actually, which together are putting a huge emphasis on people working together collaboratively. And that ends up often with them working in task forces and teams. And and, and simply put, it's very easy to work in a team when everybody is sitting around the table with you and you're all the same nationality and you all know each other. But actually, for many companies now, the teams that they're putting together go right across the world, different nationalities. And our research has shown that that's rather tricky. So we've been focusing uh, in our research at the London Business School, looking particularly at what we call complex teams. And these are teams where, you know, there's multiple nationalities, multiple locations, often working across time zones. Uh, And under those um, conditions, actually, you struggle uh, frankly, to, to, to make things work. And, and there's also fashion, isn't there? Because we've ha- got the internet now, so people work virtually, and we've also got the environmental sustainability agenda. So people say, well, you should have video conferencing, you shouldn't fly over yeah. uh, to, to yeah. have a meeting. Have those factors impacted yeah. on your work? Oh, absolutely. In fact, we, we did the uh, Teams work. We started that 10 years ago. But the recent research that I've launched... Um, six months ago, which is about the future of work. You can, you can follow uh, the discussion, by the way, on my blog, uh, www.lindagrattenfutureofwork, and I blog every week there. I mean, what that's showing very clearly is that uh, huge increases in globalization, uh, unprecedented developments in technology, and at the same time, people want to work nearer their home, partly because of the carbon footprint, but partly because they have the technology to do that. So, you know, the rise of the virtual teamwork is is we are seeing already and we'll see great increases in people working in this sort of way. And and are there problems with virtual team working? For instance, it might be about size. A few people can work via email, but once it gets above, say, 20, it might be more difficult. Yes, absolutely. I mean, our research shows that if you uh, manage a virtual team in the same way as you would manage a co-located team, then you'll make all sorts of mistakes. Uh, Having said that, um, one of the arguments that we've made is that it's not bad to be virtual. Actually, in fact, all sorts of bad things can happen when you're sitting next next door to people. And in many ways, a virtual team makes some of the ways of team working easier, but they have to be managed in particular ways. And the research that we've been doing shows some of those ways. Now, if we go back to talking generally about international and global organisations, can they get too large? Can they be too small as well? Does the size of the organisation matter if you're crossing continents? Mm. Do you know, one of the really interesting phenomena that we're seeing is the rise of what we might call ecosystems. So in the past, if you look at a company like Shell, for example, everybody uh, who worked for Shell worked full-time for them. I mean, everybody, in a sense, was inside the organisational boundary. What we're seeing now, and you see it particularly in telecoms and pharmaceuticals, even um, a company like Arm, which is based here in Cambridge, is that organisations are using talent in people who have their own businesses or, you know, work as entrepreneurs. And so actually what we're seeing is Uh, the boundaries between companies are breaking down uh, and that means that working collaboratively becomes ever more crucial. 
And what about the cultural problems? Because I know that, for instance, people have looked at Japanese takeovers, uh, China, India. Uh, do the cultural problems matter? What about distance to markets, things yeah. like that? Yeah, well, interestingly enough... Um, We've now built a huge database of about 150 international teams, and many of them work across time zones and across cultures. And, and obviously that makes a difference because each culture has its own norms of behaviour. Um, each, you know, each culture has its own way of doing things. And so there has to be sensitivity around that. We wrote um, an article some years ago on the problems of fragmentation. And what, what we talked about there is that what happens in teams is they break up, they break up, and they often break up around along cultural lines. Uh, and there's all sorts of ways of, of, of healing those, those fault lines. I mean, the, I guess the most obvious way of doing it, which we described in the paper, is that teams really work under three conditions, and this is what I describe in my book, Hotspots. The first is people have got to be prepared to work cooperatively with each other. The second is there has to be some networks that connect them together. And thirdly, there has to be an overriding purpose or igniting question or a strategy that, that engages them. And actually, of all of those three, the final one is most important for virtual teams. Virtual teams work best when they're doing something interesting and they work worst when there isn't much happening. Now, I know some global CEOs deliberately get different nationalities together. They like mis mixing the cultures, particularly you know, when you've got the tiger economists as well, and getting them all together. Is that a new approach and, and does it work? Well, I mean, it's a new approach in the sense that 20 years ago, organisations didn't have the sort of global reach they've got now. And 20 years ago, they didn't have the technology. So it is relatively new. I mean, what we know about diverse teams is that diverse teams are potentially more innovative, but they're harder to manage. So if you... Um, if you want to have an innovative, if, if the task that you've got is an easy one, then you don't need a diverse team, you know, because actually you don't want it to be, in you just want people to get on very fast and do it. If the task you've got is an innovative one, then you're better to bring not just nationalities, but also different perspectives. I mean, for example, if I look at my own team in the hotspots movement, I mean, we have an Italian designer, we have a German um, and by the way, all these people live in the, their countries. We have a German uh, analy uh, you know, analyst. We have a French marketeer. We have an American administrator. Um, and we have a, um, uh, an Albanian uh, head of communications. Well, that's just extraordinary. Now, I didn't choose them because of their nationality. I chose them because of who they are. But by doing so, I brought together a group of very, very international people. And I just think it's a lot more fun than being surrounded by people who are just like you, or just like me, I mean. Well, what, like what about you. behavioural problems, psychological uh, behaviour and personalities? Because you also talk about destructive behaviours. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, any team, and all of us have been in teams, and we know that they can be, you know, gut-churning places in terms of envy and bad temper and so on. So one of the things that we do when we work with teams is we help them acknowledge that the diversity within the group and actually appreciating each other for, for what each other is is an incredibly important part of diverse teams. Um, and also, by the way, in terms of conflict, we found that some of our highest-performing teams have as much conflict as the ones who are poor performers, but it's what you do with that conflict. So if you, I mean, for example, in my team, we have quite a lot of conflict, but we surface it very rapidly and we talk about it. And then we 
finish with it. Teams that are managing badly don't have any way of, of working with conflict. So when we train teams, um, we train them to manage conflict. Now, people also talk about climate, don't they, in the environment in, in yeah. which people are working. Is that important? Yes, I mean, absolutely. We do, um, when we look at a team, we, we do a very detailed and sophisticated diagnostic. Um, and we diagnose them at three levels. We say, let's look at the individuals, let's look at how those individuals work together as a team, and then let's look at the organisational environment. And so, for example, we've seen quite a number of experiences of teams which are potentially very high-performing, but the culture that they're in makes it very difficult for them to perform. So, for example, one of the the keystones to a high-performing team is that they're able to work, work, work collaboratively and cooperatively with each other. If they're in an organisation with a CEO and a senior team who are very aggressive and very competitive, it makes it more difficult for them to behave like that when the culture doesn't support them. Well, let me just ask a personal question now, Professor Grattan. Um, um, you are um, highly rated, should we say, on, on the global management uh, marketplace um, do you think that, that it, it, in fact, it's more difficult for a woman to get to the top? You said, for instance, that you like um, mixing the nationalities. You find that fun. Other people might find that threatening. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if that was about my gender that I'm, I like that. I mean, I just happen to be a very curious person. Um, one of the roles that I played some years ago was to run the Lehman Centre for Women in Business. And we did a lot of research on what's happening with women in business. And, of course, um, it's difficult for women to get to the top. Um, you know, most, most organisations have 50% of the people coming in are graduates. Uh, sorry, graduates are women. By the time we get to management, that's 30%. And by the time you get to senior executive, it's 10%. And by the way, academia is no different from that. <laughs> so, no, if you look at the, the Times uh, top rating of the top 50 thinkers in the world, and I come, I think, uh, 18th this year, there's only two women. And what I said was you seem to relish the challenge and, and ever more global challenges in a sense of mixing the cultures, mixing the people. You find it fun. That was the word you used. Yeah, I absolutely. I just love it. I mean, I just love... We, we, my whole team came together last week, in my, uh, well, this week, actually, um, and we, it was just fabulous. You know, I mean, we were, it was actually Burns Night, so we were eating haggis. So there's a German eating haggis and an Italian. You know, I mean, it's really funny. I love it. Yeah. And, and your talk today, developing effective teams in international organisations, that's the theme for 2010? Well, I mean, I think so, absolutely. That's why I devote so much of my attention to it. And, you know, I'm pleased to say that both the UK government has been very supportive with a very large research grant. And, and these days, most of my research is supported by the Singaporean government, who very interestingly are seeing teams and high-performing teams at the centre of Singapore becoming the human capital centre for Asia. Well, Professor Linda Grattan, we shall listen with interest. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School Centre for International Human Resource Management podcast series today. I'm enjoying it very much. Thank you very much.